What do you get when you cross a Cuban cosmonaut with the Sun Ra Orchestra? Add in a painting of George Floyd aboard the International Space Station, and then lay it across a hidden history of NASA. Answer, a new film from National Geographic called The Space Race. This documentary chronicles the interlocking stories of a handful of black pioneers who made indelible and until now largely unsung contributions to humankind's exploration of the final frontier. Today we speak to the directors of the film, Lisa Cortez and Diego Hurtado de Mendoza. Together, they share the story of how a voyage into the Cuban film archives led to the birth of this movie, the power of having an insider as a collaborator and producer, how to sift through an endless archive, the contributions of the team who helped them bring this film to life. Without further ado, I give you a conversation with Lisa Cortez and Diego Hurtado de Mendoza. Diego and Lisa, welcome to the show. Excited to have you here. Fascinating new film you've got. Thank you. Thank you so much. So to start with, before we dive into the space race, tell us a little bit about sort of in brief individually, both of your paths to documentaries, because I know this is the first film that you guys have collaborated on and you each have your own kind of fascinating paths to documentary film. So Lisa, why don't you jump in first? What, what was your path to docs? I have been lucky to have had several careers starting in the music industry, moving into producing narrative films such as Precious. And then I ran into a friend, Roger Ross Williams, one of the most incredible documentarians. And he invited me to join him in the making of the Emmy-winning film, The Apollo. Uh, and subsequently after that, uh, another great collaborator has been Liz Garbus on the film All In the Fight for Democracy that we did with Stacey Abrams. And most recently, uh, I directed The Little Richard, Little Richard, I Am Everything. Amazing and, film also. Um, thank you. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the consistent through line is an interest in untold stories and hidden histories and using documentary, and in this case, living participants to uncover and reveal these narratives. Fantastic, I wanna go deeper on all of that. Um, Diego, give us a, uh, a brief snapshot, because I understand this film starts in Cuba, um, and uh, tell us your path and sort of your path to this particular film. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, my, you know, my, my love for documentaries, I think stems, um, like many other documentarians uh, from, uh, you know, deep curiosity in the world um, that I live in and the people that, you know, I live with. And so, you know, I started doing documentaries um, in Kosovo when Kosovo declared the independence from Serbia. I thought, you know, how, how do you create a nation? How are countries created? You know, and, and there was a chance of seeing one being born in the 21st century. So I just went there and, uh, you know, on my own and started, you know, documenting how you actually you know, form a country and um, learning from that. And then, you know, my passion for documentaries and stories have, has taken me all over the world. And um, I've done several documentaries in Cuba. And while working in one of those and researching and looking for archival footage in the National Film Archives of Cuba, I came across this footage of a black astronaut. And that was footage from 1980. 
And I thought, why would the Cubans be promoting anything American at the time um, when they were supposed to be, you know, um, uh, at odds during the Cold War? And then everyone told me, no, that's not an American astronaut. That's that's our national hero. That's the Cuban cosmonaut, Arnaldo Tamayo. And I was just blown away because we realized that during the Cold War, the Soviets uh, beat the Americans at sending the first person of color into space, and the Soviets did not have black people. And so Lisa and I just fell in love with this idea of uh, what was going on in the United States um, at the same time, and how could it be that the U.S. didn't have black astronauts? It's a, it's a fascinating and amazing origin story, and I think what both of you are hitting on is, is a couple of things that I want to put a finer point on. One is... I think as documentarians, all of us are animated by that deep curiosity of like the world around us, the untold stories, and how to transform kind of uh, a fact into a narrative. And I think one of the things that you guys do so beautifully in this film is when the film begins, it almost seems like, okay, this is going to be a cultural history of these unrelated story strands that map the, the arc over time of, of black astronauts you know, within, within NASA and the space program. But by the end of the film, you manage to interweave these in such a beautiful and unexpected way. And I want to go deep on the, on the ending of the film you know, a little bit later in the session. But talk about the kind of you know, working together, because I think there's a long tradition in documentary films of, you know, in, in, and I think it's unique to the medium, right, of, of filmmakers coming together and joining to form a unified voice. So talk about that process of co-directing, how you guys come together, and how you begin to allocate and determine who does what. I think something that was super important from the onset of this project is Diego and I were aligned that we wanted our participants to be the only voices that you would experience. When you watch this film, there are no outside commentators. It is, you know, the intimate perspectives of these living contributors to this history. And I think that's what makes this exciting and lively and not pedantic um, uh, history lesson. You know, it makes it intimate and personal, right? Like at the end of the day, it's this is not a survey film. It's it's these intimate personal stories of the people who live it, and then the way the baton gets passed over time until it all kind of coalesces in the end. What were you going to say, Diego? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I, I, I think that a lot of it just happened uh, in, in the process of making this film. I mean, I think Lisa and I had a very strong vision that we didn't want to make a history film, uh, per se. We wanted to know these individuals. I mean, we, we have the opportunity to talk and listen, most importantly, to astronauts. I mean, these are the best of us, and, you know, they're national heroes. They've seen things none of us have ever seen. And so we thought you know, the best thing we can do is listen to them. And we realized that some of their stories, and these are icons for you know, the United States of America and the world, and we put them on a pedestal. And, and sometimes their stories we felt were crafted around them rather than through them. And so our original idea was, you know, has ever actually, you know, sat down and listened to them and, and let them tell their story rather than create myths uh, where they're, you know, in those myths. And and that's really uh, what, what our approach. And that was, I think, what makes the film 
extremely different from anything else you might have seen. And, you know, we've heard repeatedly, uh, repeatedly uh, people that have watched the film and said, you know, I thought I knew everything about this space and, you know, space exploration. I've seen every documentary, I've read every book, and yet they discover things um, in these men and women that they've never um, seen elsewhere. Well, I think that's one of the great joys of the film, right? Like you enter, we all enter this, anybody who's sort of a fan of the subject matter or, you know, frankly, has been paying attention to American history and, and sort of, you know, the history of space exploration comes to it with these preconceived notions. And like you said, by exploring these personal stories and these unexplored personal stories, you get something... Um, really surprising. So talk about working together and how you guys kind of first come together and then how you manage the, you know, the division of labor. Well, I, I'm based in New York and Diego lives in Los Angeles. So Zoom was our, our dear friend in building a bridge, um, multiple conversations. And I think, you know, we, we lived with the, what was out there. We went through tons of footage and other films and read the bios um, so that we could understand what was missing. You know, I think you have to, if we wanted to stand in the gap as storytellers. Great way of putting and it. it was, and then we went to look for the receipts. Well put, um, well put. I'll, I'll add that, you know, people wonder, like, how do you work together? And, you know, I think in, in a way we, we kind of looked, I mean, we're inspired by the subject of our film and, and our subjects. And, you know, you hear these astronauts and the way they work in space and they're doing the most advanced things humanity can do. They're exploring, in, you know, into the unknown and doing, you know, extremely dangerous things where anything you do wrong might kill you and all your um, crew. And so... You know, they wake, the way they work is they communicate, they get to know each other. So I think Lisa is, you know, a phenomenal collaborator. And we we just were extremely transparent. We created a great creative environment so that we can all, you know, express our ideas either, you know, I mean, both the great ones and the terrible ones. And then you just pick the best, you know, the, the best ideas just um, rise to the top. And that's the idea. It's just be able to create together. And, and there's nothing more enjoyable than that. It's, um, you know, there's there's no one or the other. You you become more when you have a great team. So that was sort of our, our motto. And Diego is 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 down for the challenge. Um, like, okay, it's been done this way. Let's poke the bear. Let's introduce and find ideas like Afrofuturism that has never been tied to this narrative. Let's look at the opening of our film and the transportation of human bodies through space, whether it's via slave ships or through actual capsules. And, and I think for us, those were the conversations we were having and interrogating and finding a way to link that to our participants was a great part of the joy of making something that is not paint by numbers. It is expansive in um, exploring individuals and how they are part of changing the, the current of history. 
So you're, you're touching on something really fascinating that I want to go a little bit deeper on. Like, uh, you know, as you were discussing the injection of Afrofuturism into this, which is like, it was such a pleasure to suddenly have like Bootsy Collins and Sun Ra and like these, these, these people injected into this story. And it was unexpectedly, um, I think, sort of slick and smart how it was done. But what struck me about it is it's almost essayistic in the way that you see great nonfiction on the page where you begin with one particular topic, but because there are these associations, you're able to open it up and expand and touch these different spaces. Um, and I thought the choice of the injection of the Afrofuturism was, 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 was fascinating and very well executed. Go deeper on that in terms of the, you know, the discussions that you guys had, the exploration, the decision making, that that is a central piece of the, of the film. When we look at these individuals, it was always important for Diego and I to explore what is happening in the, the, the broader cultural context, you know, and what are the conversations that start to come up for Black folks as the space race grows. So first, you know, you have the Poor People's March going to the launch, protesting this uh, advance while conditions on earth are still so challenging for a community. What's the next kind of cultural conversation that is coming up in relationship to this um, progress as you know, we're marching towards an expansion of the exploration of space. And, you know, as Octavia Butler says, how are we writing ourselves in? And yep, so brilliant. we saw in Afrofuturism this wonderful moment that, you know, starts with Samuel Delaney in the 60s, but certainly really blows up through music, literature, um, paintings. Uh, performance in the 70s as there's this also this escalation of the space program. So this organic build. Well, and one of the things that I think is so powerfully evoked in it is that gap between, you know, that you're mining between sort of like the frontiers of space and, and yet the sort of conditions on the ground in America and, and kind of, and the cognitive dissonance between those two, which actually leads in some fundamental sense to the flourishing of this art. T talk a little bit more about that. Well, I would say that's that's a fundamental idea we had. I mean, we had this vision in our mind of, you know, these individuals. Forget about, you know, the iconic status. You have men and women who are sent up into space. They're doing the most incredible things. Again, science that will change the world. But then as they look, you know, out of the window and they see the whole planet as one. I mean, that must be incredible. But eventually after that utopian experience where they're working with a crew from all over the world, doing these incredible things, you know, it's a perfect world, but they have to eventually, you know, come back and land. And then they go back to a reality where they take off their blue NASA suit and they're no longer heroes. They're part of a society. And so that juxtaposition of those two things is I think what really you know, tickled us. It's how do individuals that go through something so unique and transformative deal with the realities of uh, inequality in this world? 
Well, I think that's a really interesting point that you're on right there, which is, you know, what's striking, one of the many things that's striking about the film is it is these individual portraits of these lives lived, whether it's Dwight's story at the beginning and sort of the tragic interruption of the, you know, this trajectory he's on and then the killing of Kennedy and, and how that kind of suddenly, you know, shatters the trajectory in a, in a fundamental way. Um, but then there is also this very strong legacy and this sense of community between all these people. And I think that's one of the things that you do, do so beautifully by the end of the film is you sort of, it like, yes, everyone has to live the life of the kind of isolated, groundbreaking individual experience. But then there is that chain, the chain of all the people connecting one to another and the legacy, uh, which I think is so powerful. Talk, talk more about that. Well, we very quickly learned that this is a tight group of astronauts. Um, when we would reach out, participants would say, sure, but you know, you gotta tell the Bob Lawrence story. Sure, if you speak to me, you have to speak to this person. Community legacy, standing on the shoulders of Ed Dwight is what we were very aware of as a navigational and almost structural tool for our storytelling. Because Ed is the invisible thread that we are pulling through time. From 63, the dream that was deferred, but ultimately his role in overcoming the obstacles put in his way and being a source of inspiration for every single black astronaut that was able to achieve the dream. Beautiful, beautifully put. Uh, one, let's talk about some of the filmmaking aspects of this, because in, in I think in, in Ed Dwight's story, it's, it's you know, acutely noticeable, which is you really see the environment in which he lives and works as an artist. And there's the sort of like verite uh, scenes, so to speak, or, or the, the kind of like slice of life where you're getting these, these hints of kind of, um, you know, his current life and, and who he's become as an artist, separate and apart or in evolution from who he was, you know, as an early pioneer. Um, talk about the balance between you know, this amazing archive of footage that you have to, to the sit down interviews, to the inclusion of these, the, these verite moments that give you a sense of the lived life. Um, you know, we, I mean, on the one hand, when you talk about archive, we had hundreds of thousands of hours of NASA footage. I mean, the phenomenal thing is that uh, the space program has been so well documented, right? So we had a wealth of material to um, to explore. And we had a phenomenal team that helped us come through all of that because that was really, I mean, it was overwhelming at times, uh, which was a good problem to have. And then um, we always, you know, thought this is not a story about the past. For us, it was really important that this was a story, you know, when you think about these accomplishments and what they mean, what you want to know is like, how did they change the world? How did they affect what we see today? And so, our story gets all the way from Ed Dwight in, in the 1960s, um, at the height of the civil rights, all the way to today. I mean, and we go through a pandemic, we go through, you know, everything that happened during the pandemic in terms of uh, um, uh, protests for, you know, against racial inequality. And 
all of that is part of the society and, and it affects astronauts as well. So we get all the way to even the current astronauts who are going to the moon um, in the next Artemis missions. You got Victor Glover, you got Jessica Watkins. And so that was really always the idea is we, at first like, we maybe thought, let's see if by telling these stories, we understand the echoes and the implications of you know those origin stories, those pioneers in today's world. And what we discovered is that they weren't just echoes. I mean, there is very, you know, uh, palpable. It's a living um, history. Yeah, it's a living history. And so, you know, the more we dug into our uh, past, the more we were connected with with the present. And um, and NASA became phenomenal at giving us access to some of these current um, active astronauts, which is something really rare. Um, you know, we, we heard when Victor came back from spending six months at the International Space Station, he had something like 8,000 press requests. And so just to be given time with them, it's, it's, it's incredible. I also think, you know, a part of the, the cadence that we were always mindful of is how the past is a prelude to the moment that we're in now, to the complexity of double consciousness. You know, what it meant one thing to, to W.E.B. Du Bois, it means something very different to Victor Glover. Um, there is always this internal tension that our participants have had to grapple with. And I think that's another part of the layers of genius and grace that they bring as humans to the story. Absolutely beautifully put. And it's one, it's one of the, let's go deeper into the ending of the film and, and, and sort of start as our, as our departure point, the, the double consciousness, because I think it, that's so elegantly introduced at a time, you know, in this film where suddenly you're seeing, um, you know, you're seeing you're seeing the impact of the George Floyd protests literally resonating on the International Space Station, and you're seeing this community of people come together, and suddenly it gives you a new lens at the end of the film to kind of rewatch everything that you've seen, which is the notion of kind of navigating these two worlds simultaneously and doing it with elegance and grace. Did you have the end of the film sort of in your heads as you started or do you find it in the edit? I mean, I know I always, whenever I start making a film, if it doesn't take a wild right turn at some point, I feel like I've done something disastrously wrong. So talk about talk about the ending of the film and, and weaving all this together. Well, as you know, with documentary films, it, it is um, a winding road that oftentimes your destination changes. And it changes through your time spent, in this case, with our wonderful participants. And when Diego and I sat with Victor Glover and he shared that he had this picture of George Floyd that he took to space with him. Imagine, he is in space. He has such a limited amount of items that he is allowed to bring and he's bringing this picture to sustain him for six months you know pictures of his family and a painting of george floyd we knew then that we we got like goosebumps it was like oh my gosh what in th this is not the standard interview 
you know, because we always hear, yes, I'm in space, I see the earth, I'm changed forever. But this was about being a black man in space, an astronaut, someone who is very proud to serve his country, but also cognizant of the challenges and danger that exist for black bodies on the earth. And that in turn, how, you know, it had never been shared before also that he reaches out and has this call with everyone who came before him. The call is so amazing, such an amazing moment in the film. And when he shared those moments, we were like, oh, okay. We know, we know where we're going, how we can tie together this community, the sense of legacy, and how we are moving to the future. Beautiful, beautifully put. So talk about the, the kind of, I want to rewind all the way back in light of that, kind of to, you know, the germ of this idea of like, wait a minute, there's a Cuban cosmonaut to, to you know, to that moment with, with, with Victor and, and the painting of George Floyd in there and, and the coming together of all this. From, from the seed of the idea to the final execution, you know, to picture lock of the film, how long are you guys on this project? How long specifically are you in the edit bay? And when in that process do you know, okay, we got a movie? Mm. Wow, it was it was a long process. Uh, making this film was a long process, but um, for 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 several reasons. I mean, one to begin with, we had a pandemic in the middle of this project, and that was probably a year and a half, roughly, where you know we sort of had to stop filming. And um, you know, these are some of these protagonists are elderly, and we didn't want to take any risks, so that sort of you know made us put everything on hold and being a story where we just wanted to listen and you know listen to what they had to say you know we couldn't continue without them talking so um you know we couldn't guess what they were going to say that's exactly what we we didn't want to do so that's maybe a year and a half extra i would say that all in all really the work was probably two and a half years three years um um uh, and obviously not all of that is in the edit room uh, much less than that is in the edit room but Lisa and I did a very thorough sort of, you know, preparation and we read a lot of biographies and we studied everything to really get to know our subjects because we felt that, you know, when you go and talk to people that have been media trained, that have done hundreds upon hundreds of interviews for decades to tell their story, and you always hear the same story, by the way. Right. Uh, there's sort of a script that has been written. So if you want to go beyond that, you got to be really ready and well prepared. And that's um, that's why we why we spent so much time. And what would you say is the fundamental art of that? Is it is it sort of patience? Is it prodding? Like, you know, because that's a really interesting point, you know, when you've got people that have told the iconic narrative of their lives and you're trying to crack open, you know, in a deeper level. How do you guys approach that in the actual, you know, when you're sitting there in the interview? I think initially we, you know, make certain that we're hitting the major uh, timeline, biographical moments. We let them do that download. And then you go back and you revisit. Because they've done the usual, you know, born here, went to college here. And now you then lean in 
and you pick up the little threads that point you in another direction. You ask about, you know, a relationship, their parents, a feeling, and you make it a more tactile interview. I think people appreciated that we had listened so closely. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I love that. And I think that what I would think is maybe the reason they, you know, they opened up more than, than ever before um, to us is one, because we were really ready and prepared. You got to really be prepared. And, and I think part of it is all these conversations that Lisa and I had, we knew the story. I mean, we knew what they'd said before, so we didn't need to get that from them. Uh, I think what our conversations were about is like, what did it represent or how, how could they possibly feel going through that and what was going on around them at the time in the United States, you know? So all those conversations that Lisa and I had before, I think it's what really helped us uh, craft a different type of interview. And, and then, you know, you can't forget, I think our best decision ever was we made former NASA astronaut Leland Melvin, who was one of the astronauts in this collective, uh, our executive producer. And so Leland was instrumental, right, Lisa, in, um, in helping us understand this, this community. He was an incredible ambassador. Because, um, you know, people are like, I've done a million interviews. Why this film? Well, this is the penultimate film about a hidden history with the bulk of the participants who are still alive. Um, th there's not going to be many more chances to sit down with them as thoroughly as we were able to. It's such a it's such a savvy move as filmmakers because at the end of the day, you are partners in some fundamental sense and custodians of the stories in a fundamental sense. And so having a partner as a producer who is a participant is able to kind of unlock the access and trust, which of course you then have to build out yourselves. But I thought that was such a such an elegant and smart um, decision. Did that happen early on or did like, wh when did you guys make the decision to bring him in? Yeah, that was from the very beginning. I mean, the, the whole idea was that you can't possibly tell this story without them. So like, how do we include them and, and really make them part of this? And that's, I think that's really our approach. You just said, you talked about trust. That really is what that's the key. I mean, the whole thing is that trust, you got to earn it. And so it's every single time you talk to them and the way that you include Leland for them, that also shows something. And, you know, Lisa and I oftentimes, you know, joked and, and loved the fact that when we went and interviewed one astronaut or talked to them, you know, we soon find out that we would find out that they talk among them, right? And of so course. the next one we went to talk to, they they already knew like how it went with the previous one. It's like, you know, they told me it went great. And, and so, you know, they're a little bit more relaxed. So, you know, you realize they're, they're you know, they're, they're trying to understand what we're trying to do. And, and that takes time. And it is definitely you need patience. Um, you need a team that will support and be patient, you know, along with you. Because, you know, when you're making a film, you know, there are obviously uh, time constraints and people want to have, you know, a result and you're like, well, you know, we're getting there and, and you have a vision and you follow that, but it comes from your subject. So the wonderful thing is that you slowly build that trust and then uh, and then it just keeps getting better and better and better. National Geographic, documentary films, that team there, 
um, really leaned in to our process. And we also had great support from our other producers at the Kennedy Marshall Company. Um, you know, it's like when you go to space, you, you put together the best team. And that is something that is integral uh, to the success of our film is all of the people that we were able to uh, have on the team. Thank you so much for acknowledging that. I think that's such an important point, which is it is a symphony of collaborators in any undertaking like this. And the thoughtful and careful choice of partners, whether it be National Geographic, whether it be Kennedy Marshall, and you guys really ended up with kind of a, a dream team of partners for this, didn't you? Absolutely. Okay, so last two questions for you. Um, Talk specifically about the edit, and are you guys cutting as you're shooting? Are you shooting for a long while? Do you, are you paper editing um, from the time? Do you stop and start with your edit? Like editorial, what's your process, and, and how do you manage the different voices and perspectives? One of the first things was to assemble archive, to really get a sense of the scope of what we have. We know that in terms of NASA, you know, you're going to have everything from Apollo, Challenger, um, but then it was finding interesting pop culture uh, moments that we could additionally illustrate. So that was, the I think, one of the important foundations. Then simultaneously, doing interviews um, to have those elements to, to work with. Um, and it's funny, we pretty early on started working on um, some of the graphics and special effects. So the very beginning, when the gloves are floating, the helmets yep. floating, we worked on that for months, you know, because it's like, okay, the helmet looks good, but it needs to reflect what's in the locker. Okay, the wrench, uh, as it pivots, I mean, so much went into, how many seconds is that, Diego? In the end, not that much at all. It but it's so shorter it's shorter. so intricate and finely wrought. And, and it also, like, it sets the tone and the scope right. of the film in such a foundational way that you have to spend that time to, like, spin the knobs and get it right. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and then our editor is a wonderful man, Robert Martinez, yeah. who just jumped in and put his arms around all of these moving pieces. And and some of the moving pieces, again, I mean, when we started, we didn't know. We, we thought we had way less subjects um, in the film. But as, as Lisa said before, one subject would say, great, but you also have to include these other people that came before me. And someone said, would say, and also the people that came after me. And so as it grew, really, the, the you know, the inter interesting part of the editing process was putting all these voices together so that it would be one story. And as you said, not a survey at all, but rather something would, you know, would feel like a film. Yeah, with a, with, a, with a coherent, unified narrative. That's why I think the ending is so powerful when you see all those story strands. And it's, and it's unexpected, you know, which, and yet inevitable, which I think is, is the perfect ending. Um, okay, so my last question for you, and um, I'm curious about this because I've done it many different ways myself. 
you know, as this film is coming into the world, did you screen it for all of the participants ahead of time? Are you waiting for them to see it sort of when it drops in the world? Like, what's your approach vis-a-vis sharing what you've finally done with this long, epic journey making it with the people whose stories you're telling? We did share it with them before it came out. Um, uh, We wanted to make sure that more than anything, we got everything right. Once again, it's their story. It's factually right. So we wanted to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, we weren't making anything up. So we weren't scared. We just wanted to, you know, get their approval or even their input. Because if in case we had missed anything, we, they wanted to, you know, um, add anything or clarify something, uh, they were giving that opportunity. And then a wonderful thing happened. They said, how can we support Ed Dwight has been at all of our major screenings, receiving his flowers and standing ovations. Leland Melvin has joined us and Victor Glover with his incredibly busy schedule has found the time NASA has allowed him to come and participate at many of our screenings. Um, And, We've even had an event in Martha's Vineyard and, you know, there was like 10 of the astronauts there. So, you know, there's always that moment when you're going to show your film and and particularly when to participants that are alive and you're like, uh oh, I hope they like Here it. Here it comes. Did we right. get an yeah. email? What did they say? And it was not only that they really loved and appreciated all of the intention that we put into this film of telling a story in an exciting, vibrant way. But then they asked, how could they participate and support? Beautiful. What a, what, what a blessing and what a perfect way, uh, what a perfect way to end the film and a perfect way to end the podcast. Um, I just want to say thank you to both of you for uh, going on this incredible journey, making this beautiful film. And, uh, and I can't wait to see how um, it's, it's received in the world and how, and what all you guys go on to do, hopefully both, uh, hopefully together and, and as individuals. So great work, you two. Thank you so much. Wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Be good. Bye-bye. Thank you to Diego and Lisa for making this film and taking the time to share your process. Thank you to the Kennedy Marshall Company. And thank you to each and every black astronaut and pioneer for sharing your stories with the world. See you next time on The Dangerous Art of the Documentary. The Dangerous Art of the Documentary is a Tillerman Films production produced by Jacob Miller. Music by Zydepunk, Graham Tracy, and James Carroll. It's distributed by Jake Brennan and Brady Sadler through Double Elvis Productions. Thank you for listening.